Every time I go to the New York area, an older person will always come up to me and go, man, before your time, I used to watch Bruno San Martino. Ah, oh, he was amazing, he was great. So it's just fun to hear that, and that's how you know you're great. He was completely dedicated to wrestling. He wasn't going to be satisfied to be second best. He was special because he paid a dear price to be a wrestler and a dear price to be a champion. In order to be on top, you have to be a winner. You have to be a top man. Incredible star and someone who carried the championship with pride and honor. And the fans go absolutely berserk. He uh, trained religiously and uh, watched other wrestlers in the ring every opportunity he had. San Martino was big and hard, and he was big in the gym. Bruno San Martino was my father's uh, favorite performer, was his father's favorite performer in an area of the country where he was meant to shine. He did just that. He was truly a legend in New York. When I look back at the fact that he packed Madison Square Garden year in and year out, I think that statement alone explains his greatness. Bruno Sammartino was able to bridge the gap between the ethnicity of fans. You would have the Italian fans, the Puerto Rican fans, the Jewish fans, the Russian fans, all united behind this champion for almost a decade. And that truly makes Bruno Sammartino one of the greatest. Initially, I was going to start off this show and discuss all things about the Superstar Shakeup, the analysis of the rosters and the SmackDown rosters, but unfortunately, the wrestling world uh, was met with news that is definitely sad, but at least in terms of wrestling deaths, it's not a tragedy. This is a man who lived his life to the fullest, an incredible story of this wrestler, uh, of course, talking about the legendary Bruno Sammartino. Uh, he passed away early Wednesday morning at the age of 82. Bruno Sammartino is the longest reigning WWE slash WWF slash WWF uh, world heavyweight champion in the company's history, he had a long, long title reign. He had two title reigns total, uh, amassing over 2,800 days uh, for one of his title reigns. And the total of his title reigns lasting a little over 11 years, as uh, San Martino said, two months short of 12 years, he held title 4,040 days, which is unheard of in this day and age. Obviously, the, we think of a long title run. We think of CM Punk's run with the 434 days holding the title. And boy, oh boy, Bruno San Martino, a legend. Obviously, that word gets thrown around a lot, but he truly is a legend of the wrestling business. I've been listening to a bunch of different podcasts, uh, reading all on Bruno San Martino, and the story, as mentioned before, is just incredible of some of the stuff that he did. He was born in Italy, um, and he was never able to truly see his father when he was first starting out because his father had went over to the United States for work. But, of course, during that time, World War II was breaking out. 
And so he was not able to reconnect with his father until he went to the United States in 1950. He was 15 before he could finally reconnect uh, with his father. Um, and during that time, he survived the Nazis, uh, them raging all over into Italy. Uh, he came into the country of the United States weighing only 84 pounds. It's just incredible. Just that the start of high school weighing only 84 pounds. He found a love for weightlifting when he went in, over to one of the local YMCAs. Uh, there's a different version of it down in the States. I name escapes me right now, but he went over to YMCA, saw a gym, got into weightlifting. And before you know it, by the end of high school, he ended up being a 220 pounds of muscle. And when he first started wrestling, he got into the 270 pound range. So an incredible reach from 84 pounds at one point uh, while he was trying to survive uh, in Italy. He was on, they were saying he was days away from passing away at a very young age because he was so sickly. And now to this 270-pound behemoth of a man uh, is just another one of those stories of Bruno that, you know, you always hear about and you're just amazed about just in terms of the character and just how much he was able to overcome, especially early on in his life. And one of the things that makes him interesting as well is when he first started out wrestling, the interesting thing was he actually started off with the WWF, but then he got banned, blackballed from the industry in the States uh, because he was double booked for a booking and he wasn't aware of the second booking. And at the time, the athletic commissions for wrestling were massive, huge conglomerates over the different uh, wrestling uh, companies. Uh, the commission in the Northeast, where the WWWF was running, uh, essentially said, because you skipped this booking, now you're blackballed from this industry, you're suspended, you're not going back into the ring. And they held such a power where word would spread to some of the different commissions across the states, across the different territories. So it essentially left Bruno without a spot uh, to wrestle in. And so with... Uh, it's seeming like he was going to leave his wrestling career early. Uh, he was recommended by Yukon Eric to head up north to Canada and wrestle for Frank Tunney in Toronto, where he uh, was in charge of most of the Ontario territory, obviously Toronto being the centerfold there. And one of the things that made Bruno Sammartino stand out is, of course, his Italian background. And Toronto had a large Italian population uh, where especially Tunney was promoting. So what they decided to do was they really wanted wanted to help promote San Martino. And so he got himself some promotions on some different uh, newspapers, some different radio programs. He was on some uh, special Italian uh, television programs. And before you knew it, he got uh, popular very quickly uh, in Toronto. And in itself, it helped him become a special attraction. One of the things that made him really go over the top was one of the top stars for the for the Tunnies in terms of their uh, promotion uh, was uh, they partnered him up with Whipper Billy Watson, a legendary Canadian wrestler. The thing about Billy Watson is I remember my grandparents, specifically my grandmother, telling me when they would uh, go out uh, to different, uh, like they were in Germany at one point in 1955, um, and sometimes the wrestlers would travel over there to help wrestle for the troops, and one of those wrestlers was Whipper Billy Watson, a huge star uh, in the Canadian scene. And she remembered, you know, just... How, the magnitude of the star that Billy Watson was, especially for Canadians. And the true big break for Bruno Sammartino was when he won his first 
Professional Wrestling Championship, winning the International Tag Team Championship uh, as part of the NWA, I believe, with Whipper Billy Watson. And soon enough, it helped him grow into this big, big star. He's credited the Toronto Territory a lot for helping him grow as a wrestler, being able to learn his craft, being able to really narrow down uh, what he could be as a professional wrestler. And he got so big to the point where uh, the New York Territory, where he was initially blackballed from, uh, came calling right back and said, hey, you know, we could really use you down here. Now, San Martino has said before that he did not want to go back. He always he already had a good thing going in Toronto, being one of the top stars there and obviously appealing to the Italian demographic uh, in Toronto. Um, finally, after much convincing and you know removing the suspension from Bruno San Martino and helping to rebuild his image and removing the black ball, he came back to, to the New York Territory and was able to beat Nature Boy Buddy Rogers, the original Nature Boy, in 48 seconds to win the WWF World Heavyweight Championship on May 17, 1963. And from there, it became the longest reigning uh, WWF championship reign. Obviously, you can include WWE and WWF. In terms of just the length of the reigns, it's absolutely incredible. He went from 1963 all the way to like 1971, I believe, which is incredible. It's just, it's unbelievable how long he was able to hold on to that title belt. And he's faced off against guys like Giant Baba, Killer Kowalski, Bill Watts, Gorilla Monsoon, uh, Spiros Arion, Johnny Valentine, Waldo Von Eric. He based, and that's just a short of it. There's a ton more competitors that he was able to face over the years, and he was able to change up his style and still be very much over, and was still being able to draw a big house for Vince McMahon Sr., who was running the WWWF territory during that time. Now, obviously, we can go fully in-depth into the uh, title reign, but of course, this is a one-hour radio show, uh, and there's a lot of great resources out there just kind of see uh, how that whole first title reign came together. Um, so won't go too much into detail on that. But the thing that really changed for San Martino was when he finally lost the championship in January of 1971 when he lost to Ivan Koloff. Now there's some clips online. There's a famous photo of Ivan Koloff jumping off the second rope and going for the double knees um, onto Bruno San Martino. There's some very, very, very blurry footage online on YouTube that I think is still there. And it's one of the only known recorded instances of Bruno San Martino finally losing his title belt. And really, San Martino wanted to lose the belt for quite a while, going all the way back to, I believe he said, like 1969, 1968, because the schedule that he would run at was just so intensive. He would wrestle six times a week, and he would get Sundays off. But because of his loyalty as well to the Toronto Territory, sometimes he would travel up to Toronto to wrestle. So some weeks, he would wrestle all seven days of the week and this isn't the time of you know the wrestling rings that we know of today a lot of the rings that they used were boxing rings so no give in the ring it was essentially like he said landing on concrete which is incredible um so he finally said you know what i can't carry the title belt much longer i gotta take a leave of absence i gotta get myself healed up and plus him being such a big star, he was able to control his bookings on where he wanted to go. So he was able to travel around. He was able to work his own schedule. He said he would uh, take, uh, he would work one booking and then take 10 days off and work another booking and maybe do a little bit of a tour there, then take another couple of days off. 
Finally, then a couple years later, uh, the WWF reached out to him again and said, hey, we want to put the title belt back on you as the gate was starting to go down because obviously Bruno wasn't the champion anymore and people weren't too interested in some of the champions that they were trying to go with. Um, and so San Martino initially agreed, thinking he was only going to hold on to the title belt for one year. That way they can help build up another guy so that when he would lose, uh, he would be able to then move on with his life. But it ended up being the second World Heavyweight Championship reign, another lengthy reign, not as much as the first reign, but still quite a lengthy reign going from 1973 all the way to 1977. And that second World Heavyweight Championship reign is also an interesting reign as well because that was probably the reign where even though Bruno wasn't really in his prime, he was starting to get into the twilight of his career. He was still having some very good matches. Um, obviously, we mentioned Spiros Arion before. Uh, he would wrestle Bruiser Brody, Baron Von Raschke, uh, Freddie Blassie, Ivan Koloff again, superstar Billy Graham, Don Leo Jonathan, Angelo Mosca, a whole bunch of different wrestlers. Uh, some of the more famous ones was the match he had with Stan Hansen, where he l- suffered a legitimate neck fracture uh, in his match against Stan Hansen had helped build up heat um, for that one for the eventual rematch at Chase Stadium. And what was special about that match as well, uh, many people may remember the Muhammad Ali versus Antonio Inoki match. Uh, well, this match, the Hansen versus San Martino match, was put on the undercard when they were doing the closed circuit TV uh, for the Inoki and Ali match. And San Martino has come out and said that he was actually initially uh, going to face Muhammad Ali, but Muhammad Ali asked for a ton of money, and a lot of the promoters around uh, the states weren't willing to put in that money to go build this fight between San Martino and Ali because even though San Martino arguably one of the biggest territory draws in the history of wrestling they were worried that he may not be as big of a draw as Muhammad Ali was in order to get a return on investment as Ali was looking for six million dollars and this was back in 1977-1976 so you can imagine what that would equate to now in terms of modern day uh finances and just how much money that is um so during that title reign again mentioned before uh the run he had with the uh wwf wwf world heavyweight championship the match with stan hansen which garnered him a bunch of match of the year reigns from multiple magazines um but in early 1977, because of the neck injury, um, San Martino informed Vince McMahon Sr. that he could no longer be the champion because of the injury. Um, and so then later on, he was defeated by superstar Billy Graham for the title. And that would lead for the next big baby face in the WWF uh, later on for Bob Backlund. And that, of course, would lead over to the transition from Iron Cheek to Hulk Hogan and et cetera, et cetera, to where we are today. Um, and, of course, San Martino had a later run as well. Um, he would wrestle for the AWA for a little bit. Uh, he ended up uh, transitioning over to an announcer role with the WWF uh, before having one last little in-ring uh, rush with the highest-profile feud being a feud with the macho man Randy Savage after San Martino attacked Savage during a television interview. Uh, which you should definitely check out on YouTube. Just an awesome little segment there. Um, and he would occasionally come in to help in terms of the other territories. So when he would go into Baltimore, when he would go into the Boston Gardens, he would be the guy that could help build up those crowds because Hulk Hogan was definitely a big draw. But as San Martino once said in his uh, interview with Chris Jericho's podcast, which uh, you should definitely go check out, 
he once said that if you were to put Hulk Hogan in for the first week, you know, you'd be good. You get a big house. But if you were to come back three weeks later, you know, there would be a huge drop in attendance while Bruno was able to carry um, and get much more of a reoccurring fan base coming back. One of the interesting things about Bruno San Martino as well is, you know, he's got that amazing backstory. But and one of the things as well was he was very outspoken. He wasn't afraid to say uh, what was on his mind in terms of what he thought was wrong in professional wrestling. And the one big thing that he felt was wrong in professional wrestling, especially when it came into the Hulk Hogan era, was the steroid era. Uh, obviously, no no hidden secret. A lot of wrestlers during that time had been using performance-enhancing drugs, steroids. And Bruno built himself up on the image that he was clean he never used any steroids and he believed it greatly impacted the sport and he would try to get to vince mcmahon jr who was now running the company at the time to say hey this is going to really blow up in your face the fact that you're using this amount of performance enhancing drugs and it led to this tension between bruno and the wwf now the wwe for many many years where both sides disagreed with how they viewed professional wrestling uh, definitely uh, specifically on Bruno's side. Um, and so it's led to this big back and forth and how Bruno viewed wrestling now and he did not like that there would be you know some vulgarities, some language, some stuff that's not appropriate for family, obviously referencing stuff with the Attitude Era. Um, now recently, uh, right around the 2012 era, 2013, uh, was when uh, Triple H uh, reached out to San Martino and said, hey, we would love to put you in the WWE Hall of Fame. Now, San Martino was still very much among his ways. He said, you know, that he still felt that it was a culture that promoted the use of drugs and uh, was not the family-friendly entertainment. But the WWE had made that transition for so many years from moving away from the Attitude Era, from the vulgarity, from the blood, from the, you know, the sexuality, um, and moving more towards a family-oriented programming and you know, Triple H was able to convince Bruno about uh, as well the drug testing, the intense drug testing that the WWE implements now. You could argue whether that, you know, is it really that implemented because of the part-time superstars that can get uh, past some of these drug laws. You can make an argument for that, but Bruno respected that at least there was something being done, and he also respected what Vince, some of the stuff that Vince did in terms of the ring, as mentioned before. Back in his day, he would only wrestle on a boxing ring, so there would be no give in the ring, uh, which was horrible for wrestlers' conditions and health at that time. And so eventually, uh, San Martino was able to stand down. He said he, he liked where the company was going. Uh, he made a deal with Triple H, and he ended up being finally in the WWE Hall of Fame and recognized for how key he is to the WWE and its rise. Um, so again, Bruno San Martino, an absolute legend in the business. Again, we mentioned that the word legend can be thrown around quite a bit, but he truly was a legend, uh, not only in terms of his backstory, just being able to get out of war-torn Italy um, and coming into the States only weighing 84 pounds and then being able to gain mass, get himself into wrestling. Um, one of the things as well, he set the world record at one point for powerlifting in terms of a bench press, which is incredible. He was able to bench press 535 pounds, which was the world record at the time. Um, so he was you know, on another level 
skill in terms of being not only as a wrestler, but also as a power lifter. Um, and obviously, one of the things that they'll mention as well with Bruno Sammartino was his ability to sell out Madison Square Garden. Madison Square Garden, you know, is super expensive to get tickets. If any fan that's uh, gone to New York knows how expensive it is uh, to get tickets for Madison Square Garden, they're uber expensive and even you know back then for the 1960s and 70s it was still expensive to go to msg and he it's been disputed on whether you know he had the most i believe he has the most uh msg sellouts it's just a number that was put in whether he actually had the number being thrown around was around 188 sellouts which is incredible um in terms of madison square garden now whether that's the actual number i don't think people will really know but he is definitely credited with being one of MSG's greatest performers, one of the greatest uh, selling acts of Madison Square Garden history. And a lot of people obviously remember him for what he did and what he contributed to the wrestling business, a guy who was able to stand true uh, to his beliefs. But the one thing I think that will stick with Bruno San Martino is his integrity and the respect that he gave to you as a person. You always hear the stories about how Bruno would talk to you with respect, treat you with respect. He would, you know, engage in conversation with you. He would he would he would give you the respect and integrity that he felt you deserved while also maintaining an honesty as well um, by the way the current wrestling standards uh, were going. So a true legend of the business, Bruno Sammartino, passing away at the age of 82. There's not going to be another one like Bruno Sammartino. Uh, we're certainly never going to see a title run like he had ever again. Um, and a true, true wrestling legend. And it's sad to see that he's passed away. But, you know, 82 years old, you hear a lot about wrestling tragedies of wrestlers dying young. You know, he was able to live a full life. He was able to live comfortably. Um, and he's remembered for the rest of his time as an icon.